Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. You have a Bible? Go ahead and turn it to Judges 7. Pray with me, would you? Father, we do thank you today for your word. and We recognize that your word has authority over our lives. And as we read it, we don't always know exactly what it means at face value. And so we desire to dig into your word in a way where we understand it. And then we can live out what your word says to us. God, we desire to follow you with all of our heart. So today, would you continue to stir our hearts as we look into your perfect word, the law of the Lord, that helps us to become more like you. I pray, God, over everybody that's tuning in today that we would all receive encouragement from the Holy Spirit, and we would all desire to be more like you and to follow you closely. And God, even in these troubling times, these confusing times, I pray, God, that we, our anchor would be found in you and you would release your peace upon us, your clarity to us, so that we could move forward and be a lighthouse, a beacon of hope for other people that we would move beyond the fear that we often have or the confusion that sometimes we encounter so that we could bring clarity to others. We thank you, Lord, for that today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Here's the deal. I'm only going to be able to give some remarks on Judges chapter 7 because uh, the narrative that we're reading about is just so rich and there's so much to it that I can't get past unless I were going to be here for hours. So I won't do that. I literally spent an hour in Judges 7. <laughs> That's all I did. I just spent an hour in Judges 7 because I was writing out so much stuff and making so many observations. And it's okay to do that. When you're reading through a Bible plan, the goal is not just to check the box. The goal is to understand God's Word. And so often I'll slow down. Sometimes I'll speed up. It really depends on what I'm reading. And I'm, what I'm asking for is revelation from the Holy Spirit. And, and I believe that God will give us that. We just want to follow Him in it. It's not about having a Bible reading plan. It's about knowing and understanding the Bible. So I have a plan just so I know what I'm reading. That's the purpose of it for me, but not just to get through it per se and go, hey, I've read the Bible a hundred times. It doesn't matter if you've read the Bible a hundred times if you don't understand it or live it out, amen? So that's the goal for me. Judges chapter seven, I wanna remind you of a few things in Judges chapter six or Judges seven just simply won't make sense. And the first thing I wanna remind you of before we read it is that we remember in Judges 6 that God called a man named Gideon to deliver Israel from the oppression of the Midianites. Remember, the Midianites were coming in, and once their the crops were fully mature, the Midianites were stealing all their crops, which sent the Israelites into a place of starvation. Well, that actually is a good enemy plan. If you want to kill, dominate, or oppress um, the people, your enemy, you, you go ahead and starve them out. And that's actually one of the battle plans of ancient civilizations. We see that in the Bible several times. Actually, I could bring up several different passages where the enemies design, rather than just going against them as an army and inflicting uh, countless losses for both sides, they would simply just steal their food, their crops, and it would leave them destitute and starving, and it would kill off many people. And that's, that's just a battle plan of ancient civilizations where you don't lose a lot of people doing it. And it's a, it's a long-term approach, but that's what they were doing. Judges 6.33 shows us that the Midianites and the Amalekites had assembled 
um, and sought a position against Israel. Here it is. They've, uh, they've heard that something is rumbling in the camp of Israel. And so they assembled together. And Midian and Amalekites came together. They also had another nation come together with them so that they could dominate Israel. And uh, they were actually going to go to war with them. And so that's what, they, that's what we read about. We understand that they're assembling together and they're taking a specific position because they are now actually going to go to war and silence any voice that would rise up against their oppression. And so Gideon rallies many from Israel around him to fight for him, it says the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. So the anointing comes upon him in advance to become a judge for Israel. God calls him and God confirms his call right before Judges chapter six ends. And so we enter uh, Judges chapter 7 with that in mind. And I'm going to read to you the first eight verses here. And here's what it says. Judges 7.1, Then Zerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the spring of Herod, or Harad. And the camp of Midian was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah, or Moray, in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands, for Israel would become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. Now, therefore, come, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from Mount Gilead. So 22,000 people returned, but 10,000 remained. Now, here's the deal. 32,000 people were gathered to Israel. That's how many warriors they had. And I'm sure that they thought, hey, we got this. We got a huge army and we've got a very good chance of taking out the Midianites, the Amalekites, and whatever other ites are joining them for this battle. And God says, that's too many. And he says that specifically because if you guys conquer your enemy with 32,000 people, the people themselves will say, it was by our own power that we delivered ourselves. So he says to Gideon, that is too many. Now he says, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of all the people. If anybody is trembling or afraid, tell them to go home. So he speaks right to the fearful. And 22,000, that's two-thirds of the people, literally go home. That's, I mean, we could talk about fear right there. That's how much fear is in the camp. Could, could we say also when we're facing these kinds of things or difficulties in our life, there is a lot of fear. We see this. Uh, Two-thirds of the people go home. Now they've got 10,000 left. Verse 4, the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Therefore, it shall be that he of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, he shall go with you. But every one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, You shall separate everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, as well as everyone who kneels to drink. Now the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people kneeled to drink water. So anybody who scooped up water and brought it to their face were to stay with Gideon. Out of 10,000, that was 300 people, 9,700 kneeled down, without looking at anything else, and licked up the water by putting their head down to the water. 9,700 people had to go home. That's incredible. He goes, I will deliver you with 300 men who lapped, and I will give the Midianites into your hands. So let the other people go, each man to his home. So the 300 men took the people's provision and their trumpets in their hand, and Gideon sent out all the other men of Israel, each to his own tent, but retained the 300, and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley." 
I've got some thoughts that I want to give to you at the end of all this, but we'll just keep going because it's really important to see now what God does. So here God reduces the number of those that will fight in the army from 32,000 all the way down to 300. Now it says in verse 9, Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. Now the first thing that God says is, Now you can go I've given it into your hands. But verse 10, but if you are afraid to go down, go with uh, Pura, Pura, your servant, down to the camp, and you will hear what they say. And afterward, your hands will be strengthened so that you may go down against the camp. So he went with Pura, his servant, down to the outposts of the army that was in the camp. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number. As numerous as the sand on the seashore, when Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend. And he said, Behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread was tumbling into the camp of Midian, and it came to the tent and struck it so that it fell, and it turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. His friend replied, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. When Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. Think about that. He bowed in worship in the camp of the enemy. God allowed Gideon and his servant to hear the plans of the enemy in their very camp. And when they heard what God was telling them by revelation, and they were fearful of it, that they knew God was going to give the camp of the Midianites into the hands of Israel, here he bows down in the camp and worship to God in the camp of the enemy. It's kind of a powerful prophetic picture. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the camp of Midian into your hands. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put trumpets and empty pitchers into their hands of all the men with torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Behold, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I and all who are with me blow the trumpet, then you also blow the trumpets all around the camp and say, for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And when they had just posted the watch and they blew the trumpets, smashed the pitchers that were in their hands. And when the three companies blew the trumpets, broke the pitchers, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and cried a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran, crying out as they fled. When they blew 300 trumpets, the Lord set the sword of one against another, even throughout the whole army. And basically what happens uh, throughout the rest of this is the camp of Midian and the Amalekites, they go into confusion, so they kind of kill each other, and the rest of them flee. And as they flee, the 300 men pursue whatever is left of the Midian camp. This is like kind of a crazy story if you think about it. There's really a lot to say, um, but I just want to make some comments because I, as I read this, I just thought, wow, this is, there's so much here. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and do that by just giving some points. I just wrote out some thoughts that I had. And the first one is God's deliverance was physical and spiritual. Now, I want you to remember this because we read about it in Judges chapter 6, also Judges chapter 5. Um, at face value, when you read this story, it seems like the oppression that they're experiencing is physical, right? So they're being starved, they're being oppressed, they're being punished 
they have the Midianites that are liter that that literally are kind of in a macro sense have kind of taken over, even though they're not at war per se. They're being dominated, and as a result of that, people are dying. As a result of that, people are living in fear. Seven years they've been living in this place. We talked about yesterday how they were also living in idolatry. They were worshiping the same gods that their enemies worshipped instead of Yahweh. It took them seven years and they began to cry out to Yahweh again. And their perspective was, where is Yahweh, right? So they think, and in their mind, they can worship all these other gods. They can worship Baal. They can worship Ashtoreth. They can worship Yahweh when they feel like it. But then all of a sudden, seven years in, where's Yahweh? Where's the God of our ancestors? Why hasn't he delivered us? When clearly, when you go all the way back to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you see that God has been telling the people of Israel for years that if you do not follow my commandments, if you do not listen to my voice, right, I will give you into the hands of your enemies. And here they are, seven years given into the hands of their enemies. The perspective which we read about in Judges chapter 6 from Gideon's own mouth is where is God and if God is for us and if God is our God, then why has he allowed this to happen to us? And that's what we need to remember in this moment because right now they're being freed from the physical bondage. But the fact is, is that spiritual bondage is really the issue because physical bondage is a consequence of spiritually them giving themselves over to the idols and to worship the idols of other nations, which was the warning from the very beginning. Now, I bring this up because of this, right? This looks like a great victory, this moment right here, this, this deliverance from God, this physical deliverance from God. But in the physical deliverance from God, there are things that God does, which we're going to, another point that I want to make, he does them for a specific reason. They have lost their bearings. They've lost their moral compass. They have lost their connection to God. They've lost their view, the, the perspective that they need to have. And God's going to do things so that they can recapture that. God reduced them down from 32,000 to 300 because he wanted to show them, not to show off, but he wanted to show them who he was. It was like when Israel forgot who God was, the God of their ancestors. In Egypt, they had 400 years of slavery. And those 400 years now has, has disconnected them from Yahweh. Now God or Yahweh is the God of their ancestors, but he's not their God. And so the wilderness was all about God revealing who he was. It was not just about getting them physically delivered, which he did, and he did that overnight. God physically delivered his people in, in slavery to Egypt overnight. Physical deliverance was no problem for God. Spiritual deliverance took 40 years and then some. Okay, this is the point that I'm trying to make is that if we really want to be free, we've got to stop just looking at the physical. There's so much more at stake. There's so much more going on. It's always about what's going on on the inside. The reason that we talked about confronting our idolatry yesterday is because that literally is what leads us into a place of bondage. And not only for us, but for us and for our children for our children and for our city and for our region and for our nation. This is literally what leads us to bondage is when the people of God give themselves over their, from their heart, from within, they give themselves over to something less than God. 
and that becomes God. And so then we cry out for physical deliverance, but physical deliverance is not all that we need. We need spiritual deliverance. And so God's going to do specific things like reduce us down to a view where we can see that God is the one that delivers us. Nothing else, our security, our safety, our bank account, our relationships, all of that stuff that we have, that we trust in, that we rely upon, that we're connected to, that we believe in, all of that stuff is is not going to deliver us. And God wants us to see that. The Lord doesn't just want to take stuff from us. But friends, let me tell you something. Sometimes when things get taken from us, when we get reduced down from the 32,000 to the 300, it is for God's purpose to bring about his glory in our life. Now, when we come to church, when we gather, (laughs) we haven't for a while, we pray prayers like for your glory. We sing songs. It's for you alone. We talk to God and we sing about God like we want his glory in the earth, and we want Jesus to be magnified, the supremacy of Christ to be seen. And yet sometimes we rely upon everything but God. We show forth in our world and in our life everything but his glorious name and his nature and his power. We're living in a moment right now where I just feel like, I I honestly, I'm just going to go for it. This is how I feel. I feel like it reveals that even our own health has become something that uh, that we feel like in and of ourselves, like we can take care of. I want, I want to tell you something. The virus that we're facing right now is probably one of many other things that's coming upon this earth. I, I don't know if you've read Revelation recently, but it ends with some plagues and some pestilence. It's talking about wars, Matthew 24, and rumors of wars. It's amazing how it's almost like all we got to do is just make sure that we don't touch each other, talk to each other, that we cover our mouth, we cover our face. Uh, Listen, I'm all for stewarding things naturally. I understand that. And I don't want to be foolish. But is that all it is? I'm I'm asking you a question. Is, Is that it? Is it it? So if we do everything in the natural, like that's our deliverance, that's all it takes. Like at what point? Do we actually need to trust God again? I mean, at what point do we really believe that God is the one that delivers us? At what point do we realize sometimes that maybe God hasn't released the virus upon us, but God uses things in our life. We get reduced down to the very, just, just very little where we have to look up and we've got to trust and believe in God again. We have to actually lay hold of God In desperate times, which call for not desperate measures, they call for normal Christian believing, normal Christian lifestyle. Like God, I think, is allowing some of us to be reduced, like we see about in this story, so that Jesus will get the glory in our life. We can steward the natural all we want, and and we ought to. We we ought to do what we can naturally, but there's more going on than just the natural. And I'm concerned. One of my main concerns in the times that we're living in right now is that we don't trust God, and we think we do. Is that we don't believe. We may believe in God for salvation through Christ, but are we believing God for the deliverance of our community? Are Are we trusting in that America was built as a Christian nation? 
or are we believing God that America could be saved? That's the question that I'm wondering. Are we fighting to get back to an idea that America is Christian? Or are we actually fighting for Americans to be Christian by meeting Jesus, sacrificially giving our lives in prayer, in witness, in generosity, in kindness, in loving sacrifice? This is what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if we're fighting out of fear for an idea rather than fighting out of faith, seeking the welfare of the city and the deliverance, the spiritual deliverance of the people, including us. See, Gideon, to be a leader of the people, had to receive a deliverance first. He had to be confronted with his thinking in Judges chapter 6. His thinking was off. His thinking was wrong. His thinking that God wasn't doing something that God should do. And if God was doing what God should do, then why would this be happening? And he the whole time is standing in a place of idolatry among a people that is standing in a place of idolatry. And these are the people that follow God. These are the first covenant people of Israel. That's who they are. And I wonder if sometimes we just think that everything is the way that it should be with us, but what's wrong is, is with everyone else. And God wants to show us, no, I'm trying to set you apart. I discipline you so that you might share in my holiness. And here God reduces them down to a place of absolute and total dependence on him. That's scary. It's scary if we haven't been depending on him Anyways, here, here's what I'm trying to say. I am concerned. I, I, I'm speaking out of my heart. I'm concerned that, that, that we're fighting the wrong fight sometimes. I'm concerned that we're making assumptions. I, I'm concerned that we think things about ourselves that, are, that just isn't true. And we're actually missing God's internal deliverance for us right now where he will bring us to our knees and he will bring us out of our convenience and our comforts. And, and we're living in the day of slaughter. We fattened ourselves, as the Bible says, in the day of slaughter. People around us are dying. People around us are starving, spiritually speaking. People, people around us are going the way of eternal separation. And we're just concerned that, that, we, that, that, that we get our external deliverance, that, that we get what we want, that we get what makes us safe, what makes us secure. God is trying to bring us to a place where it is all about his glory. It is all about the glory of God. Even when we do good works, it's like, let your light so shine among men that they see your good deeds and glorify your father. I think sometimes we do good deeds and we want people to glorify us. That's why I'm concerned that even social media can be that place where it's like we take a picture and we show everybody all the good things that we're doing. We've got to be careful because it makes us think that we're doing everything we ought to when really inside there's this deliverance that we need. It's not just the physical. I know I went off there. I went off there for a while. Physical bondage is that place that we come to that makes us realize just how far we've gone, but it doesn't mean that we understand how we got there. And that's what God is so, th that's why I'm so thankful that he's thorough. God is thorough. He wants to do a thorough work inside of, of deliverance, the spiritual and then the physical. We cry out for the physical, but what we need is spiritual deliverance 
in us as the people of God. I'm, I'm talking to you that's watching this. I'm talking that you and I, we need deliverance from God. And if we push it off thinking that we're already at that place where everything's good and I'm doing good and man, I love Jesus and all that, we, we may, you may love Jesus, but it doesn't mean that we're living for Jesus. And right now, if we get reduced, God, just say, God, reduce me to a place where I, you can use me. You know, it's like a vessel. It's like, it, it's like, it's like, it's like a cup that's so full. And it's like, God, fill me up and use me. But if the cup is full, there's, you can't fill a full cup. The cup has to be emptied in order for it to be filled. When it's emptied, then it can be used. Otherwise, it's already full. We, we cannot simply stand in this place right now, in this moment of history, and act as though everything's a-okay with me and everybody else needs to get it together. All right, number two, God's deliverance needed to be clearly from him. This builds upon the last point. It's just an observation I made. God reduced the army in order to bring about this desperate trust. The battle in front of them, listen to this, was not as important as the battle ahead of them right? The battle in front of them was not as important as the battle ahead of them. That's why God needed to clearly reduce them and give them this strange plan, okay, that we would never come up with ourselves in order to connect them to God in such a way where after the battle, these people, these 300 and, and consequently the nation of Israel would have this awe and this reverence restored to them, for the sovereign God, the almighty God, the God of their ancestors would once again become their God that they worship, that they love, that they serve. God was establishing them in this reality so that the deliverance that they received could not be mistaken that it was from God. And this reminds me of 2 Corinthians, I believe it's 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, where Paul says, and we have this treasure in earthen vessels, speaking of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. We have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from ourselves. Paul being beaten and stricken and ridiculed and shipwrecked and left for dead many times, here he is saying to the Corinthians, like these negative things, these bad things that have happened to me as I've sought the welfare of others, as I've sought the salvation of the souls of many, even among you in Corinth, He's saying that all that we've been able to do as earthen vessels, is just vessels, it is shown that there is this power inside of us, this, this clay, there's this bright and shining light, there's this diamond inside of us to show that it's God. Like what we've been able to do is proof that God lives within us, that God is working through us. And that literally is the kind of life that best brings and mo it brings most glory to God, that there are times where God prunes us, not just so that we would have a better life, but he prunes us so that we would point to Jesus more and Jesus would receive glory as a result of it. That's the prayer that we pray. It's the songs that we sing, and it's the life that God calls us to live. But often our safety, our security, our convenience, our cultural surroundings, all that we have becomes our safety net, becomes that, that delusion, that deception that we are maybe living in a way that we quite frankly may not be. We are doing things that maybe we are not doing. And God knows that more than we do. I don't know. I can't speak into your life and specifically identify whether that be the case or not. But God himself can. God knows 
And the Lord does put that pruning tool to our hands at times because he wants to bring about that deliverance. And so God's deliverance needs to be clearly from him. The battle in front of us is not always important as the battle ahead of us, which is the battle over our mind, over our heart, over our worship, over our future. Number three, and finally, God's deliverance, uh, God's deliverance, his delivering plan doesn't always make sense. <laughs> God's delivering plan doesn't always make sense. Okay, we read this story about Gideon and the boys uh, follow what Gideon does. They have three, there's 300 men with 300 trumpets. The Bible says that the Midianites and the Amalekites are laid out in this valley and it's just like locusts. It's like as numerous as the as the sand on the sea. So there's there's tens of thousands in this army and there's 300 and they got a trumpet in one hand. They got a torch in the other and they blow the trumpets. They, they smash these jars and they hold up 300 torches. Okay, this is the plan. And they're supposed to scream, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. <laughs> that is not something I would ever come to, okay? That is just not a battle plan that makes sense to me. And it didn't make sense to them. They just did it because at this point, Gideon had to hear what he heard in the camp of the enemy, that they were receiving revelation or dreams that God was going to give them the victory. And so they were fearful. They were trembling. And I, I want to say this to you, okay? God wants to bring deliverance in us. God wants to bring deliverance and ministry through us. God's plan for delivering us, God's plan for uh, bringing sustainability and, and deliverance and purifying us, refining us, using us, God's way of doing it is going to be different than sometimes the way that we would choose or the way that we would think. Sometimes like we just say, hey, you just need to read the Bible. Well, the reason that we read the Bible is because we read very clearly in a story like this, okay? Because the plan isn't just read the Bible and then you're delivered. The plan is read the Bible and understand that you and I serve a God that is mighty to save, mighty to, to deliver, mighty to heal. When we read the Bible, we find that God, the one that we are following, and his son, Jesus Christ, is worthy to be worshipped, exalted. We come back into a place of faith in him for what he can do and will do in our lives. As we see this story, we read about how God spoke to his people and gave them the plan. The plan that they couldn't have come up with. The plan that they never would have chosen. But it was his plan. God knows what we need to separate ourselves from. God knows what we need freedom from. God knows what we need freedom for. God knows our tomorrow. He knows, knows next month. He sets things into motion that we would not do so that we ultimately can be sustained in the life that God has called us to put our hands to. And that's so important. Right now, we're going through kind of a strange time, all of us. Everybody on this stream is going through something different. The fact is, is there are general principles from the word that always work when it comes to deliverance, when it comes to freedom, when it comes to future. But there are some things that we need to hear from the Holy Spirit. And you can only hear that in relationship with him. There are things that God asks us to do that he will speak to our heart about that do not make sense to others. They do not necessarily, you're not going to read that specific thing in here. I mean, maybe you will generally the, the plans laid out, but the specificity 
of what God wants to bring about in our lives will come from him. My question for us today is, are we asking God specifically what he wants us to do? Are we waiting for somebody else to tell us? Hopefully, if we're waiting, we're waiting on the Lord. Because I find that right now, I find that we, the voice of safety, security, and comfort, the voice of fear, those voices are, are the defaults. They really are. We, we, we think sometimes that those things are God. But the reality is our context, our contextual voices of the past do not necessarily give us the clear map or plan for the future. The future is this. The future is a place that we have never been before, which means that our history built us up to the place that we are. Some of our past does not need to make it into our future. Some of our past does. Some of our past is what we're built upon today, but some of our past could be holding us back. Some of it could be idolatry, like we talked about yesterday. Some of it can be the voice of safety, security, all that stuff. Maybe God gave us all this stuff in the past, but now he's pruning us from all that stuff, and we literally have nothing in the future except him. And that's literally what it's going to take for a generation to come to Christ. We cannot pray crazy prayers like, God, whatever it takes, and then back up when it's too hard. People all across the world right now are losing their life for Christ. They're losing their life. They've lost everything. They have literally lost everything for Jesus. And we look at them and we we read about them in the Bible, in the book of Revelation. It says the martyrs' voices cry up before the presence of the Lord. How long, O Lord? How long until they receive their vengeance, right? Precious is the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs before the Lord. People that give their lives wholeheartedly for the Lord. I'm not saying that's how it's going to be with us, but we've got to, at minimum, be a people that are listening to what God is saying. What do you want me to do right now in sacrificing my life, my time, my convenience, my security, my comfort for the sake of others? People of God, rise up. Rise up right now. Somebody may not give you the right, what you're looking for. People may not tell you exactly what to do. The word gives us our general marching orders and the Holy Spirit is going to give us specific things where you and I can be delivered of the, that internal spiritual bondage of any idolatry and we can be delivered of that physical oppression over our lives of fear, of false sense of security projecting a false future. You know, that's what fear does. Fear projects a false future. And we just break the shackles of fear off our life right now. We've never been in our future before. Tomorrow is tomorrow. We've never been there before. So we don't know what it's going to take for us to live that out victoriously. We don't know what it's going to take for us to live that out in a way that pleases and glorifies God. We know generally from the word, but but God's got to give us his own battle plan. And that means we have to live close to his heart because he may ask us to do things, tell us to do things that we have never done before. And faith is what we need to walk into our future and glorify the Lord in the way that pleases him, in the way that glorifies him most. It's not just about us getting our freedom. It's not just about us getting what we want. It's not just about us living in safety and security and comfort forever and ever. Amen. And having this, that sense for our own children. Here's what I want for my kids. What I want, I would, I would be so proud of my kids if they went to a mission field and gave their lives for Jesus. Seriously, like that's what I want for my kids. I wanna know that my kids follow Jesus with their whole heart, with their whole life. That's what I want, that's all I want. I, I don't know what the future holds for you, for me, for us, for our country, I don't know. But what I'm asking God for is that my children, my wife and I, our kids, literally follow Jesus with all of their heart of the, and I want them to give their lives for Christ, you know, in in, in 
in a very real way. I mean, I, I want my kids to lay down their rights, to lay down their freedoms, to lay down their lives, to give themselves to God wholly, wholeheartedly for his glory. That's what this life is all about. This life is not about me. It is about bringing glory to God. That's what this life is about. I'm ranting because this is important. At the end of our life, when we stand before God, we read in the book of Revelation, what do they say? The elders are not speaking about anything else except for worthy are you, O Lord. That's what they're saying. We're going to be singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. We're not going to be looking at ourselves. We're not going to be thinking about the nations of the earth. We are going to be saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That is what needs to be in our mind right now. I am concerned that we are thinking too much about the natural. I am concerned that we are consumed with what we need and want to feel safe and secure. Move that out of our lives. No fear and move towards God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I need your plan. I want your glory. That is my life. When I step into glory, when I step beyond the threshold of that temporary realm into the, that eternal realm and I look Jesus in the face, it's all going to be about how I live my life to bring the name of Jesus glory. That's what it's all about. Don't forget that. Don't forget that in this craziness today and the narratives that are being spun and the things that are being said and the conspiracies that are trying to draw fear out of our hearts. If God reduces our life, may it be so that we would bring the name of Jesus glory. I can't answer every question that's going on today. You can't either. We don't know what's going to happen. I don't even know all the right answers, but I know what it's all about. I know that it's all about bringing him glory. And if it's not going to be about that, then you tell me what it's going to really be about. God holds everything in his hands. Do you believe that? I believe that. I believe that with all of my heart that God holds everything in his hands. And if I trust in the one that holds everything in his hands, that means that I don't have to be fearful about it, but I need to hear his voice. And when he tells me something, I do it. But we can't just trust and rely upon whatever we thought in, in the last season. Let's ask him today, God, what is your plan for me? What is your plan for us? And how do we move forward to bring glory to Jesus? Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do, right? I'm not saying passively sit back and, and, and just sing songs all day. I'm saying that we need to ask God what he wants us to do. And that's what I've been doing. And that's what I keep doing. I feel like I've been reduced in this season. And, and it may be more. And it may be more for you. But may it be for the glory of God. Amen. All right, well, let's pray. Let me pray for you. Pray for me. Thank you, Lord. Father, we pray right now as we read, read the story of Gideon, so many things we can relate to right now. So many things speak to us. I knew that when we read the book of Judges that there would just be so much that would minister to my heart. And as I read it, Lord, I'm just reminded that idolatry is always knocking on our door for us to worship and serve other gods. And Lord, we deny, we renounce the works of darkness that we've participated in. We renounce a false sense of security and safety. We renounce this idea that we can control our future. Lord, we trust in you. We rely upon you right now. We recognize that your voice is what leads us. Your word is what guides us. And so we ask for you today to lead our lives. I pray for my friends. I pray for me. I pray for us. Number one, I pray the church would not be divided right now. I pray that where there's division, that you would stomp it out in our lives. Just stop it where, it's, where it starts, Lord. Just stop the division. Help us to come together as a people. And Lord, I just appreciate the fact that 
that you made us all different, but you gave us commonality in worshiping and serving you. You're the, you're the pastor of the church. You're the one who leads us. You're the one that we serve. You're the head of the body. And we come to you today and we ask you for your instructions, for your plan. It may not look like anything we understand, but as you spoke to Gideon and the 300 men, you gave them that physical deliverance, but Lord, you were reducing them for a reason. You reduced them down to very few, very little, so that the, battle, the victory that they had was wrought by you and nobody could, nobody could deny it. God, we want to bring your name glory. And so we just pray in this reducing that's happening right now. I just pray, God, that we would bring Jesus glory. That's what we ask for, Lord, all across this world, all across this nation. Lord, I just pray, God, that we would rise up as a people and bring the name of Jesus glory, that we wouldn't want to go back to ideas, but we want to want to move forward so that America, Americans would meet Jesus all over this nation, Lord, and that we wouldn't be content with the idea that maybe this this land is has more Christian than some. We, we would go forward and move forward to see that the whole America shall be saved, that the nations of the world shall be saved because of the way we live our life. I pray, God, that we would live out loud. I pray that we would be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, you would convict us so strongly wherever we are just sitting back, coasting, trusting in false sense of security. Lord, break those shackles off of our life, the delusion and the deception that tells us that we are living like the people that we read about, Lord. We look at your early church and the way that they lived, the things that they endured. I just confess, Lord, I haven't gone through a, a fraction of that. And, and God, I, while I don't want to, I just pray, God, whatever brings your name glory, that we would be a people that are simply unashamed of you, unashamed of your gospel. And we live as bright and burning lamps in a dark time, in a dark world knowing that your light burns brighter, shines brighter, and is getting stronger. God, we're thankful that we know you. And I pray, God, for full deliverance over our lives. Lord, deliver us spiritually, deliver us physically. God, I pray that you would get the glory, and I pray for your battle plans in these days. Thank you, Lord, for my friends. Thank you for our church. God, I pray you'd bless Northwest Church. Lay your hands upon each one of us. Instruct us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Bring our hearts into unity. I pray at our prayer gatherings, God, on Saturdays, Lord, we wouldn't just get together and and in cars and that would be sort of comfort. I know that it does get, bring comfort, but I pray, God, that we would cry out. And I pray, Lord, that we would come back to a place where prayer is important again. And and, and uh, for all of us, it, maybe it is kind of important, but I need it. Lord, I need a, to be in a place where I know that prayer is a powerful posture, that you hear us and that you're responding to us and that you're touching our city. And that when we pray over our businesses and we pray over our government and when we pray, that like you're hearing us, Lord, and you're pouring out righteous standards in the earth. We believe that, God. Bring us back to a place of faith. Bring us back to a place of, of to total trust in you. And that the systems of, of this world that have failed us time and time again, Lord, we would not find our safety and security in them. We might seek their reform, but we certainly don't believe that they're going to provide that strength and security that only you bring and so we thank we thank you today that you would make us active in our world following your word and your ways even the specific things your spirit would say but also trusting in you wholeheartedly and not getting into any deception in this time i pray you would break the power of fear over our lives teach us to rise up teach us to lead well our families our homes 
our neighborhoods, and our nation. We love you, and we look forward to the things that you're going to do. We say yes to them in advance, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.